with you. But Matthew chapter 5, we've been spending the last few weeks on a study of the Beatitudes, the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to read them. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 today. Jesus sat down on the mountain, thousands of people around him. He brought his 12 disciples and set them in front of him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Are you a person of peace? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the privilege it is to worship you in a free country. Lord, we gather together freely without fear when there are millions of Christians around the world who are suffering in persecution and are not free to worship. God, shake us out of complacency. Holy Spirit, I pray you would help Pastor Saeed who's in prison for his faith this morning, that you would just rescue him and deliver him. Be with those who are around the world in prison because they love Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to wake up as a church and as individuals and have a more passion for you and our freedom. Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning as we look at being peacemakers, that you would help us to see that are we that types of people in Holy Spirit? I pray that you'd make, our, make us that way as a church and as individuals. Lord, I pray that you would take away anything that I say that is not from you. And Lord, I pray that people, you'd speak through me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. There's a big desire for peace, isn't there, in the world? I mean, it's a huge desire. People like to talk about peace all the time. And in a few weeks, we're all going to get um, mail if people still send them out. It's all going to be a peace. Christmas time and a peace on earth It's going to be all over the place. Peace, peace, peace. We'll, be, we'll see it everywhere. As a church, at the beginning of this year, we, we prayed that we would grow in humility and love, unity and peace, influence and impact. And how do you measure that? I don't know, honestly. How can we fully say, I think we have done that as a church in all of those areas, and we will continue to do that. I think part of that process, even today, speaking on the Beatitudes. But there is a problem. There is not a lot of peace, is there? Not a lot of peace in the world. There's still wars that are going on. Our country is still involved in wars. We have a Veterans Day tomorrow because we've had people involved in wars. For centuries, there's been wars. 
not a lot of peace in society even. There's not a lot of peace. This past week, the, uh, it, made, it spilled into all the news, the organization, the Miami Dolphins, how two players working together had no peace, and one was, uh, was antagonizing and bullying another NFL football player, and it caused no peace in their society, in their workplace, in our own personal lives. Oftentimes, there's no peace, is there? there there's actually a couple who live in Chicago who... Twitter their fights out. And so they, they constantly Twitter out their fights, and they've had like 73 fights since they've been together, and they Twitter them out to people, let them know, here's where we had no peace, and here's how we dealt with this no peace. There's not a lot of peace. That's the problem. There isn't a lot of peace in the world. There isn't a lot of peace in society. There isn't a lot of peace often in people's personal lives. And even in the church, there has often been times through church history where there's not been times of peace about your own personal life this morning. Is there peace? Are you a person of peace? The amazing things about peace is Scripture, the Bible calls us to be people of peace, to be peacemakers. Over 400 times peace is mentioned in Scripture. Every epistle, every letter in the New Testament there's a call in those letters to be people of peace and to be in peace. It's a fruit of the Spirit, peace is. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see God. Romans twelve eighteen says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. There's not a lot of peace, and that's the problem. Yet Jesus demands, through the Beatitudes, even though they're not imperatives, to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Here's our problem, I think, with peace and with peacemaking. We all kind of have a problem with it if we've ever tried to do it, if you've ever tried to experience it. Here's where I think we all have this problem with peace and peacemaking. It seems like work, doesn't it? It's, it seems like work and it seems very weak at times. This idea of peace seems like a weak kind of work. The Jews that Jesus were talking to when he sat down, when they heard this, they had been in just under the arm of the Romans for, for years and years. They were oppressed, and they were waiting for the Messiah to come, the promised Messiah, and they couldn't wait because they thought that peace for the Jews was going to come through revolt and revolution. And Jesus, who they thought was the Messiah, sits them down and says, be a peacemaker. That sounds very weak to us, and it seems weak to us as well when we deal with our problems. It's also a slow process, I think, is why we have a problem with peace. Trying to make peace between two people at work, or trying to make peace between people in your family, it seems kind of weak sometimes. It also just seems like this gruelingly slow process. And also, we don't like peacemaking or being at peace sometimes because it shouts to us, you don't get everything that you want, doesn't it? If you're going to make peace with somebody, you're going to have to compromise. So if you're going to be a peacemaker or a person of peace, you're going to have to say, no, I don't get everything I want. I can't have everything that way I like it. Then we don't like that. I think a fourth reason why we have a problem with peace 
It's just war comes more naturally to us. It just seems quicker. It just seems like I can just bump you on the head and just take care of my problem and just bulldoze over you, and that will deal with it a lot quicker, a lot easier. War, being in fights with people, that just comes more naturally. Yet Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. It's shocking what Jesus said to the Jews. It would have irritated them when he said this. It should shock us, and it shakes us up to the core, this beatitude does, because the beatitudes are a description of a Christian. These are not eight different moral attitudes that you should strive for if you want to be right with God. Jesus says this is the description of a Christian. This is what a Christian looks like. And so the Beatitudes, they should either confirm for you that you are a believer because you can see yourself in these, or they should crush you when you're thinking, that's not me. Jesus says that if these eight things aren't true of you, you're not a Christian, you're not a true follower of Jesus, they should confirm it for us as Christians, they should convict you that you're not, if you don't see yourself in these, and they should compel you to grow in faith as a Christian. They demand a response, the Beatitude does. They are not commands, but they demand a response. They say, is this who you are? Because this is what a Christian looks like. If you're a Christian, you're a peacemaker. If you're not a peacemaker, if you don't want to be a peacemaker, if it's not you, if you're not doing these things, then you're not a Christian. That's what Jesus is saying, and it's shocking. It was shocking to the people that heard it, and it should shock us. So are you a peacemaker? This morning we're going to look at it in four ways, this verse. The purpose of peacemaking, power for peacemaking, the privilege of peacemaking, and just some practical points of peacemaking. What's the purpose of peacemaking? Why would Jesus say this? What is peacemaking? Well, it's not a personality trait. It's not natural to be a peacemaker. It's not just something that you do naturally. It's not just because you're quiet. Being a peacemaker, the way Jesus is talking about it, is a fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to do this in us and in you to make you this way. It's also not the same as being a peacekeeper. There's a big difference between being a peacemaker and being a peacekeeper. Because the the peacekeeper is a person who who seeks to avoid conflict. And they can feel really good about it. They can feel like peacemakers, and they can feel like people of peace by being just peacekeepers. And so they are very passive sometimes because they don't want to tip the boat. They, don't, they avoid things or they retreat is one way to be a peacekeeper. Or you can be very active in it and you can just attack people and steamroll over them so that nobody wants to mess with you. Nobody wants to change things so you can keep peace the way you want it. There's two ways to be a peacekeeper that are wrong. Passively, by never dealing with anything and always avoiding and retreating, and actively, by attacking everything, steamrolling everything, subduing everything, so people are just afraid of you, that you're going to keep things the way you want it. But the problem with that is both of them serve the peacekeeper. And it's really not about peace. I've had people tell me, you know, even in church, I'm just not going to come in there, I'm not going to go to that that group, or I don't want to stir things up. And they feel really good about themselves. They feel really spiritual because they're not stirring the pot. They're going to keep the peace. That's baloney. 
It's moralistic manure. Because they are just feeling good about themselves, trying to make it right for them. They don't want to get interrupted in their lives. A peacekeeper is not that. A peacemaker is not that. A peacekeeper wants to keep the peace because it's about himself, how he feels, how his reputation is, how they perform in front of other people. That's not peacemaking. Peacemaking is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a God-given gift that is for and is Christians. Someone said that peace at any price except the price of self and peace at any price except the price of sin is peacemaking. A peacemaker is somebody who wants peace at any price except for self and peace at any price except the price of sin. So to be a peacemaker, there are times when there's going to be conflict. You're going to walk into conflict. It will be difficult. Jesus did this. If you read what he says, he walked into some conflicts. He was not a peacekeeper where he never stirred things up. He was a peacemaker. He was the prince of peace, the Bible says. That's what a peacemaker does. A peacemaker is all about righteousness. Right standing with God, what God wants. God's reputation is first for a peacemaker. A peacemaker wants to restore things. He wants to restore the health of a situation, a organization, a group of people, a job, his family. A peacemaker is about reconciliation, reconciling things. A peacemaker is about righting wrongs, justice, getting things right. A peacemaker is about working for shalom which the Jews would have known this. Shalom for a Jew was not this passive thing. It was very active. Shalom is what God's, is wanting God's highest good that is possible. Wanting peace. What God's best is, that's what they would want for. That's shalom. Having God's highest good. That takes courage. Not just a little bit of courage, a lot of courage. Because Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. To be a peacemaker, this took is intentional, it's permanent, and it's not just something occasional. Jesus says, if you are going to be a blessed person, you have to be a peacemaker all the time, perfectly, in every situation, constantly. That's what a peacemaker is, and that's what its purpose is. Reconciliation, righteousness, restoring health, righting wrongs, being about justice, being about shalom, God's goodness, and being about it all the time, constantly. Are you a peacemaker? It's crushing, isn't it? It's crushing when you realize that, wow, I'm not that even half the time. So how can I be blessed? How am I a Christian? I, this, is, this is not a command, it's a, it's a description of a person, and I'm not always a peacemaker. So left to myself, being a peacemaker is, if you're like me, crushing. So where does the power come for peacemaking? How are we going to be able to do this if we are realize this is not something that I'm always about, but this is what it takes to be blessed. This is what a Christian is. And I don't always see this in myself. Where's the power to be peacemakers? The power to be a peacemaker comes 
from the gospel. The fact that God came to us. He was the first peacemaker. He reconciled us to himself because we were hostile to God. And people are hostile to God. You say, I don't think I'm hostile to God, or I didn't think I was hostile to God. But if you look in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, says this, talking about Jesus, verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And verse 21 says, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Our problem, naturally left to ourselves, is we're not peacemakers. Our problem is we're naturally hostile, and we're naturally hostile to God. You say, I don't really, I'm not against God. I take kind of God for who he is. He's a pretty good guy. I like God. I'm not maybe as crazy about God as you might be, but God's okay. And if you've never been reconciled to God, if you're not right with God through Jesus Christ, the Bible says you're hostile to God. You say, I don't like that. Well, read the Bible, and you'll find out how hostile you are. If you spend some time reading the Bible, if you've never read it, you say, I'm not really sure I need to be in a right reconciled back to God. I'm really not sure I need this because I'm really not angry at God. You are angry at God, the Bible says. You just don't realize it. So the Bible says, I'm going to show you how you're angry to God. And he reveals himself, who he is. And as you read the Bible, you're going to find out that there's a lot of things that God says that you don't like. And it's going to mess with your mind. And your mind's going to be angry with God. You're you're mentally going to be angry with God because you don't like how God says and how he presents himself. And then your emotions, you're not going to like it. And you're going to be fighting against the truth that God says. And then you're going to continue to go your own way and say, I don't need God. And your will is going to fight against God. The Bible says, left to ourselves, we are hostile to God. But the gospel came for us. God came to us in our hostility. God made a way for us to be reconciled back to him through Jesus Christ. That's our hope. That's our power to be able to do this. Because Colossians 1, 19-20 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. It's the cross of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection for our sin, for your hostility, for your feelings of anger against God, that you don't just get to do it the way you want to do it, that you might say, I don't feel that way, but you do feel that way if you've never been reconciled back to God. And the Bible says you feel that way, and if you're honest with yourself, you know you feel that way. You don't want to live the way God tells you to live. You don't want to act the way God tells you to act. You don't want to love the way God tells you to love, and you can't, and you're angry about it. You're hostile to God. God says, I made a way to reconcile that. This was God's plan. This is what God did for us. He gives us peace. He made a way for us to be reconciled back to God, and he did it through his love. The power for peacemaking comes in the gospel. To realize that we were alienated from God, we were angry and separated from him. He came to us while we were still angry and separated from him, while we still sinned against him, and he died for us because of his great love for us. Romans says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who does that? Who doesn't spare their own son? 
Who doesn't spare their own son when their enemy is attacking them? Who throws their own son out to cover up the sins of their enemy? What kind of love is that? That's the kind of love God has for us. Even while we were yet sinners, even when we were hostile to God, he would not even spare his own son. He loved his, us so much that he said, I'm going to let my son go and let my son be killed for your sins. I'm not going to spare my son. That's amazing love that God has for us. And then his own son, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, died willingly in his place. Jesus didn't come to earth, live on this earth perfectly, just out of fear of the Father. Jesus came to earth. He lived the life because he wanted to, because Jesus is God. He loved you so much. He says, I gave my life for you. John 10, 17 and 18 says this, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. No one killed Jesus, really. Jesus laid his life down. He gave up his life for us. It's amazing love. That's the kind of love that God has. And the only way that you will be a peacemaker and have a desire to be a peacemaker is to be overwhelmed by the love of God and what it cost God to make you the ability to be a peacemaker. Who does this? Who gives their life up for somebody else? It's amazing love, and people have done this, though. People have given up their lives for people that they love. In World War II, there was the infamous Burma Railroad Railway, and they would take thousands of prisoners of war from America and from Great Britain and from the Allied side, and they would, they would capture them, and they would make them dig and build this... Railroad and thousands of Americans and Allied soldiers died doing this. And Ernest Gordon, the author of a book called The Miracle of the River Kwai, tells a true, true story. There were a bunch of guys out there working on this railroad. At the end of the day, they always had to put their shovels in. They'd count the shovels to see if there's enough shovels and if everything was in its place. And one day, they counted the shovels. There was a missing shovel. True story. One of the Enemy soldiers began to rant and rave, working himself into a paranoid fury and ordered whoever was guilty to step forward. Who didn't put their shovel in? Who was hiding their shovel? And none of the guys moved. No one moved. And he started ranting and raving, all will die, all will die, he shrieked. And he cocked his and aimed his rifle at the prisoners. Who hid their shovel? Where's the shovel? You're all going to die. And at that moment, one man stepped forward, and the guard clubbed him to death with his rifle while he stood silently to attention. True story. And when they returned to camp, the shovels were counted again, and there was no shovel missing. People will die for their friends. People will willingly give up their lives for their friends. But who gives up their lives for their enemies, willingly. God does, that's who. Jesus did, that's who. The only way that you will have the power to make peace and be a peacemaker is if you understand the gospel, what Jesus did for you, that he loved you when you were an enemy of his and he gave you everything he had, the best that he had. He gave Jesus and Jesus died willingly for the cross. And because of that, there's a great privilege in being a peacemaker. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called 
the sons of God. Not just the children of God. They'll be called the sons of God. It's very special to be called a son. And the Jews would have really gotten this. To be a son, to be the one heir, means you got everything. You weren't just a child. You were the, the son. You were the adopted son of God is what this means. You became sons. We who were outside of the family of God because of Jesus have been adopted into his family. It's an amazing privilege that Christians have. Romans 8, 17 says, And if children, then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We have become heirs of God. We who were the enemies of God, You were hostile. I was hostile against God. My sin cost Jesus his life. Jesus loved me that much, and he loves you that much, that if you will respond to that love, he says, I will make you my my heir. Everything I have will be yours, just like Jesus. It's amazing. And this is what happens when you're the heir of God, when you have everything. Romans 8.35 says this. When you have everything, when you're the adopted, heired, loved child of God, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's amazing what an heir gets. We were the enemies of God. He rescued us, and he poured out his love for us, and he says, I'm adopting you. You're now my children. Everything I've got is yours. I adore you as my adopted child. I think about you all the time. Everything I have, there's not a time when I am disappointed in you, God says, because of us. We who are his enemies, we're adopted, we're adored. And he gently adjusts us sometimes, doesn't he? What we deserve from God, when we mess up and go our own way, shouldn't we get spanked really hard? God doesn't do that to us. He gently adjusts us because he adores us. And he sanctifies us and makes us like his father. You're going to be called the sons of God. And one day we will be greatly, unceasingly, elaborately, fully, forever and ever always accepted, just like we are now. God fully accepts you. God absolutely, if you're a follower of Christ, if you have repented and turned to him and have accepted his love for you, God fully, fully, fully accepts you. So whatever situation you're in, wherever you're at in your life, God fully accepts you. You don't have to perform anymore. You don't have to try anymore to get God's love. He loves you unconditionally. Who does this for their enemies? God does. And Jesus did it for us. So the power to be peacemakers And a broken world only will come when you fully grasp the gospel. When you fully grasp what Jesus did for you and you dig deep into his love and realize that in every area of my life, in every arena I am in, there is nothing that these people can give me that God doesn't already give me. Complete and full acceptance. So why am I afraid to be a person 
of peace. Why am I afraid to be a peacemaker? Because being a peacemaker is difficult work. It is difficult work in a broken world. If you've ever tried to bring two people together and then get shot, anybody have that happen to me? Happen to you? It's happened to me, especially in ministry. You had a husband and wife, they want help, they hey, Pastor, can we get some counseling? And next thing you know, they're walking out of there at least mad at me. They agree on one thing. They are mad at me. Or I've had people get together with me and say, you know what? I want to get together and I want to, I want to work this thing out. I want to be reconciled. So here's, here's, I want you to be there, you know, and I want you to come to the table. And they come to the table, sitting across from them, and both sides bring out all their weapons. And I try to be a peacemaker, or you try to be a peacemaker, just like a cartoon, when all the guns all of a sudden, everybody brings out their extra guns. They're shooting at each other, and all of a sudden you try to bring peace to the situation, some reconciliation, some truth, and boom! You're looking at even more weapons. It's difficult to be a peacemaker. It's painful. It's filled with pitfalls. And it's painfully slow. John Calvin, even hundreds of years ago, said this, Peacemaking is a laborious and irksome employment to recoil those who are at variance. It is draining to be a peacemaker, which is why the only way we will be peacemakers is if we stay in the power of the gospel. Because the truth is, every time I'm sitting at a table and it doesn't go the way I thought it was going to go and the guns come to me, the truth is I never come to a table by myself. I'm always packing something too. And I am never innocent in it. And neither are you. It's a difficult job to be a peacemaker, so we must stay in the gospel. Recognize who we are in Jesus Christ, what it took to get us reconciled to God. If it took that, then who am I to shoot back at you? Because what you're doing to me is nothing what I did, like what I did to Jesus. Here's some practical points on being a peacemaker. Peacemakers, if you're going to be a peacemaker we are called to be as Christians, peacemakers understand conflict in this life will be constant. We cannot be surprised when there's conflict in our families, when there's conflicts at work. We live in a broken world. We as peacemakers don't put our heads in the sand. We lift our heads up because of the gospel and say, I can see things the way they really are. There's always going to be problems. There's always going to be conflict because the world's in a broken place. Peacemakers constantly then consider the gospel. They remember the distance it was between them and God and what it took to rescue them and the cost that it was. And they say, if that's what it took, then I can do this. I can follow through this. I can walk through this painful process with people or in my own life or with my family. I can do this because of what Jesus did for me. That's my power. And it's your power if you're a Christian. Peacemakers also do this. Peacemakers, they walk into pain. We don't avoid it. When we see that there's pain and reconciliation, when everything in us wants to avoid it and run away from it, a peacemaker walks into it, and they they walk into it even though they know it's a mess, and not just because they love drama. They walk into it because they understand that peacemaking prevents sin, which is our goal. 
Nothing creates more sin than when there's disunity, when there's disruptions in a church or in a family. When there's a disruption, when there's a, a, a break of relationship and there's not peace, sin abounds. There's sin of the heart, there's sin of the speech, there's sin of unbelief, there's sins of actions. And it is just all over the place. And so the peacemaker says, I'm going to walk into the situation knowing it's going to be painful because I'm walking in as a peacemaker. And if I can bring peace by the grace of God, it will prevent sin. Because left to itself, disunity is a mess with sin. So we care about sin and we don't want to see sin. So we walk into painful, messy situations as Christians. And peacemakers also, they pour out grace. We just keep pouring out grace. Because remember the gospel. Remember what Jesus did for us. And you get attacked, you get slapped, you get beat up. You get accused, you get falsely accused. It's slow and it's painful. But you just keep pouring out grace. There was a story of an elder. In Michigan, there's an elder of a church who was just an unbelievably peaceful man. He was a peacemaker. And there was a guy in the church who was causing all problem, kinds of problems. He was, he was totally wrong. Just ripping on the church, ripping on everybody. The elders came, called him finally into the, to this meeting. They sat down with him. The older gentleman, who was just peacemaker, he, he spoke grace to this person. He spoke grace to this person. It didn't get better. It got worse. The guy got more belligerent and more angry. And he just gently kept speaking to this person. He got more angry and more belligerent and more accusations that weren't true. And finally... The man said, brother, softly, true story, may may I come lay down in front of you, in front of your chair, and will you please walk over me? And that broke the guy. That this elder, this guy who was being a peacemaker, would just keep pouring grace on him. And he was willing to even let him physically walk all over him. But he was going to keep giving him grace and it broke him the guy repented and he confessed his sin and reconciliation and true peacemaking was coming if you're going to be a peacemaker the practical steps is you're going to have to go into conflict you're going to have to constantly consider the gospel you're going to have to walk into people's pain you're going to have to constantly pour out grace and a peacemaker which we'll look at more next week shares the gospel The greatest form of peace there is, is sharing the gospel. How blessed are those who are the feet of him who brings peace, who shares the gospel. What your co-workers need from you this week is the gospel. They need peace. They need to be reconciled with God. And so the greatest act of peace that you can do with somebody you know is share the gospel with them. Because it shows that you care. And you can do it in a way that is caring. You don't have to bully them with it. You can share the gospel in a way that you conduct yourself as a Christ follower. You communicate it when you can, but you just aren't afraid to communicate it. And you aren't concerned about what they're going to think of you, which is a battle we face. But the more we run back to the gospel and remember who we are in Christ, that gives us the power to do this. Peacemakers are people who constantly also battle the tongue. We don't have time to look at it, but James chapter 4 says, Most arguments, most problems come through the tongue. They bring up most of the issues that people are in conflict with. So a peacemaker is constantly, practically watching his communication. How you use your tongue 
will either make or break a situation. What does peacemaking look like? Practically, it looks like the cross. It looks like a somebody who's going to go for reconciliation and die. He's going to give himself for it. That's what we were called to do. It looks like a towel. It looks like somebody who's going to go and serve people and wash their feet, which is all the things that Jesus did. Jesus is our substitute. He took our guilt. He took our hostility. He made peace with us so that we could also see Jesus as our example and we can die in this process of peacemaking. We can lay it all on the line. Does this picture you? Does this picture you? Are you called the sons of God? Will people look at you and say, yes, that person's a peacemaker. That's what God does. God restores people. I can see God in them. I can see Jesus in them. That's where they're blessed. Blessed are you. Lucky are you. To be envied are you. You're a Christian if you're a peacemaker. If people can see Jesus in you and say, yes, that's, that's always what I thought a son of God was. I hear all this stuff on the news and what a Christian is and how we hate them, but wow, I just met somebody who brings peace. And that's deep down what I always thought a Christian should be. That's a son of God. That's blessed. Are you a peacemaker? Do people see Jesus in you? Do people recognize the grace of God in you? Have you been reconciled to God? Or are you still in enmity with God? Is there anybody this week that you need to go to and start making peace? I encourage you to do it and run to the cross while you do it. You are fully accepted in God, so you have nothing to fear how they respond. You are far worse than you think you are, and you're far more loved than you could ever imagine. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they and they alone shall be called sons of God. Are you a peacemaker? Do you desire to be a peacemaker? Ask God to build this in you. And if you're not reconciled back to God, the greatest act of peace that you could do, that can bring the greatest act of freedom on this Veterans Weekend, is coming to Jesus and saying, I'm ready to surrender my hostility towards him. I'm going to ask him into my life. I'm going to let him lead. I'm going to lay down my weapons and I want to be changed by the power of the gospel. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be your name, 
When the sun's shining down on me When the world's all as it should be Blessed be your name Blessed be the name.